I again greet you in Jesus' precious name this evening. Thank you for coming out and for your singing, and thank you for the family for singing. There's something special when a family sings together, and thank you for letting us listen in this evening. One of these days, soon, there's going to be a trumpet sound that's heard around the world. With our instant communication systems, we expect to hear news not in hours, not in minutes, but seconds after it happens. Not sure that's good, but that's the world that we live in. But for this event, there will be no need for radio to broadcast it, or newspaper to print it, or internet to publish it. The trumpet sound will be heard audibly by both the living and the dead, and what will occur at that moment. Most importantly, are you ready and are you watching for it? Do you have your reservations? Will that sound be music to your ears, or will it bring panic to your soul? The Bible clearly teaches that the bodies of the saints will be resurrected in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection. Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Where the NIV says, if we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Have you been united with him in his death? And the next verse, verse 6 says, has your old man been crucified with him? The day will come when all believers will be given a resurrected body like the Lord Jesus. That's all believers. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Philippians 3.20, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So how does scripture describe the nature of Jesus' resurrected body? What We'll be looking at a number of verses from 1 Corinthians 11 this evening, so I invite you to turn there with me. First, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Whenever Jesus rose from the dead, he had a tangible, material body. And yet it was a body that was not subject to the laws that govern the physical bodies in which we live. Jesus' resurrected body could be seen with the human eye. John chapter 20 and verse 20 says, Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And that was after his resurrection. His body could be seen with the human eye. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 here, verses 4 through 7. I'll begin reading with verse 4. 1 Corinthians 15, begin with verse 4. And that he was buried... That he rose again the third day according to the script, um, scriptures. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm at 14. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4. Verse 5. He was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James. And then of all the apostles, 
And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. They all saw Jesus' resurrected body. They recognized him. As they looked at him, they recognized him as the Lord. There was a resemblance to his original body that they knew him. So his resurrected body could be seen. Secondly, the resurrected body could be touched with a human hand. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, his words in Luke chapter 24, and verse 39, he said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. Jesus' body could be touched. I believe whenever they touched him, they would have felt something. It was material. They felt something when they touched him. In addition, Jesus' voice could be heard and recognized by the human ear. They heard the words that he spoke to them. The resurrected body of our Lord Jesus could receive food on two different occasions. First with the two men from Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And again, whenever Jesus prepared fish for the disciples following their long night on the sea, that's in John chapter 21. Jesus handled and he served food and he invited those surrounding him to come and dine with him. It seems likely that he also ate with them and that his resurrected body could receive food. All of this reveals that there are a number of ways in which the resurrected body is similar to our physical bodies. And yet it was a body that was not subject to the laws that govern these physical bodies that we live in today. There were some significant differences. First of all, Jesus' resurrection body could pass right through solid objects. Consider the stone that covered the tomb entrance. Why was the stone rolled away? Was it rolled away so that Jesus could exit the grave? Or was it opened up to let the women and the disciples look in and enter and see that the tomb was empty? It seems that Jesus' body passed right through the wrappings that they put him. They wrapped him in linen. And it seems that these clothes laid there undisturbed. Certainly that's one interpretation of John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. I believe the stone was rolled away so that the disciples could enter and look in and see that the tomb was empty. It wasn't for Jesus to exit. His body could pass right through solid objects without his resurrected body could do that. John chapter 20 and verse 19. The disciples were in a building with solid walls. And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, specifically says the doors were shut, that the disciples were assembled for fear of Jews. They, it was bolted. It was a secure place. They were afraid of the Jews. But what happened? Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be unto you. Seemingly, Jesus' resurrected body could pass right through those walls, he could stand before them. Jesus' resurrected body was made differently than our bodies are. They use different materials than our mortal bodies do. Speaking of the resurrection body, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 49 and 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 49. 
And as we have bore the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, he says here. Now, by flesh and blood, Paul is referring to our natural physical bodies. Our bodies have flesh and they have blood. These bodies age and die. They cannot survive eternally. Whenever Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, he needed a spacesuit because his body needed more oxygen than was available on the moon. His body was not designed for the moon. Our resurrection bodies will be completely changed from these human bodies that we have now. They will be suited for eternity. The present bodies that we have are not. Where does, what does this new body consist of? Well, in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. The context here is that Jesus appeared in their midst, and they thought they saw a spirit. And Jesus says, I'm not a spirit. I have flesh and bones. I have a material body. While Jesus described his resurrection body as flesh and bones, it's different than our mortal human bodies, our mortal human flesh. And this is explained, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 39 and 40. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 39, we read, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There is also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Bodies celestial and bodies terrestrial. Bodies for the sky, bodies for the earth here. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. The new body is different. The resurrection body is different from our old bodies. I cannot explain it all. But Jesus taught that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but flesh and bone can. In our physical bodies, the life of the flesh is in the blood. It seems that is not the case with the resurrection body. So flesh and blood, no, there's no flesh and blood in the resurrected body. Rather, it's flesh and bone. The resurrection body is not subject to decay and disease like these bodies are. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 31, David spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. The resurrected body will not get old, it will not decay. Jesus' resurrected body was not restrained by the physical laws of time and gravity. It seems likely that he was able to travel, I believe, at the, at the speed of thought. You say, well, why do you say that? Whenever Jesus first met Mary, following his resurrection, there in the garden, John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. 
But later that same evening, he appeared to the twelve with these words in Luke chapter 24, verse 39. He said, Behold my hands and my feet. You see here. Behold my hands and my feet. Handle me and see. That was the same day, later in the evening. What was the difference? I believe it's likely that in the meantime, Jesus had ascended to his Father and returned to his disciples. Consider with me a little bit more about this. Where did Jesus live during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension? Where did he live during those 40 days? Did he live in the desert, in a hiding place? I think it's more reasonable to think that he lived in heaven during that time and manifested himself to the disciples on the recorded occasions. I guess we cannot be sure about that, but it seems to quite feasible that he lived in heaven and manifested himself, showed himself to the disciples on various occasions. And finally, lest they send out bands of men to search for him in vain, he allowed himself to be seen ascending into heaven there at the ascension. They then, then knew that where he had gone, and they were no longer anxious about his whereabouts. All this gives a little bit of glimpse as to what the resurrection body will be like. There are bodies that can be seen and touched and heard, bodies of flesh and bone, but they're not subject to the natural laws of physics as we know them. They can pass through solid objects, travel with the speed of thought, a trip from heaven to earth or earth to heaven in a blink of an eye. It's interesting that 1 Corinthians 15 says that's just how fast our bodies will be transformed to our glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Just that fast, those who are living when Christ returns will be changed. A few verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, we learn more about the spiritual body. Beginning with verse 41, 1 Corinthians 15, 41, there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Take special note there of verse 44. It is sown, buried in the ground, a natural body. It is raised when Christ returns, a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. You might say, well, that's difficult to understand. Yet we readily accept that we plant a kernel of corn in the ground, and after that kernel rots and it decays, something totally different, a green stalk of corn, comes from the ground. Quite different than what was sown. 
We're well aware of the characteristics of our natural bodies. We've seen some of the characteristics of the spiritual or the resurrection body. But how and when will this transformation take place? We need to first understand that each body, each one of us, each one of us here this evening, each human who lives, has not only a physical body, but also a never-dying soul. And this never-dying soul is unique to man. It's what makes man different than an animal. It's what it means to be made in the image of God, as we're told in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us about this transformation. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'd like to begin with verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that is, we shall not go ahead of them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Maybe an illustration will help. All illustrations have some failures, but let's, let's let this book represent our natural bodies. Okay, there's a head and hands and feet. So a body is what we see with our eyes. When I look at you, that's what I see. When you look at me, that's what you see. It's our body. And let's let this book represent our body. It also contains an old sinful nature. But by the grace and power of God, there is continuing victory in this present body for those who believe, those who are saved. Let's let this paper represent the soul and the spirit. Each one of us has a soul and a spirit, right? We have a soul and a spirit that's inside our body. And so it's in there. Each one of us have a soul and spirit inside, but when we look at each other, what we see is our body, the external. The soul and the spirit is not directly visible. The soul and the spirit inside this are known by how it makes a body act, and so we know something about the soul and the spirit that's here, but we can't see it directly. Well, what happens whenever Christ comes? The time arrives whenever death overtakes a person. Death overtakes a person. A person dies. And what happens? The soul and the spirit leave the body. We still have a soul and a spirit. The soul and the spirit leave the body and they go, it goes to be with the Lord Jesus. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, to be absent from the body, to be absent with the body, is to be present with the Lord. And so the never-dying soul goes to be with the Lord Jesus. What happens to the body? 
Well, in three days in our culture, more or less, maybe less, maybe more, the few days the body is normally buried in the ground. And so the soul and the spirit are where the soul and the spirit are with the Lord, and the body is buried in the ground. Bodies in the grave, the soul and the spirit are with God. Some saints have been in that condition for thousands of years. Their soul buried in the ground. The body buried in the ground, their soul with the Lord. But that's not the final state. There's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a time whenever the Lord is going to return. And the Lord Jesus is what? Going to bring the souls of men with him. When he comes to earth, he's going to bring the souls of men with him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verse 13 and 14, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them also which sleep in Jesus, okay, those that were with Jesus, will God bring with him when he comes, when he returns. Notice the words that verbs that follow in 1 Thessalonians verse 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, the dead in Christ, remember this body that was buried in the ground? The body is going to rise to meet the soul. And I don't know exactly how this is going to be, but if we want to illustrate it, maybe we could illustrate it this way. by putting the soul outside the body so that now the prominent part of this is the soul and is the spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.44 tells us that it's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. The body is still there. You can see its form. Remember, the disciples could understand, could look at Jesus and know that it was him. You can still see the form of the body. It's still there, but it's now dominated by a new spirit, a spirit without a sinful nature. And that new spirit will forever control every phase of our being as we live with our Lord Jesus throughout eternity. Throughout the sanctification process on this earth, our mind is renewed which brings transformation. Romans 12, 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed in the Greek is the Greek word from which we get metamorphosis. It's a familiar term to many of us with regard to a caterpillar and a butterfly. In the same way, our bodies will be transformed, completely changed at the coming of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 49, as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, the first, what happens first is those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, that's what it says, those who are dead in Christ will rise first. And so we've been speaking about the transformation of those who died in the Lord. But not everyone's going to be dead whenever Christ returns. He's going to, when he returns, some are going to be alive, maybe those of us here this evening will be alive 
whenever the Lord Jesus comes. Because he might come before this service is over. He might come tonight or tomorrow. We don't know when he's coming again. But 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 reminds us that there will be a generation that does not see physical death. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we shall not all see physical death. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the believer, what a glorious moment that will be. To be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In one moment to have this body that's subject to disease and pain and hurt. And a moment later to have an incorruptible, resurrected body. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 puts it this way, Then we which are alive and remain shall be cut up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How exciting for the child of God to look forward to that day and that resurrected body. All of creation is waiting for this moment of redemption. Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. When will this all occur? I can't tell you when Jesus will return. It might be 10 years. It might be this year. It might be this week. It might even be tonight that that trumpet will sound. But in Luke chapter 21, Jesus gave us a few things to look for. I'd like to read just a few verses from Luke 21, beginning with verse 25. Luke 21, beginning with verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Many have taken these verses and others and thought they'd figured out just when the Lord would return. Don't fall into the trap of prophesying the date that Jesus will return. But short of that, we should be aware of the words of Jesus so that whenever these things do here, we hear of record numbers of hurricanes or earthquakes or wars and rumors of wars. Our pulse should quicken just a bit. Our redemption draws nigh. We're about to be joined to the bridegroom. Those of you that have been engaged to be married know the anticipation of being joined to your beloved in marriage. You know, ask an engaged couple, how long till the big day? And twinkle in their eye, they'll say, 120 days, or 90 days, or 30 days, or finally the day arrives. Brothers and sisters, we should have that same anticipation 
to be joined with our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be joined with our bridegroom to live with him forever. We should have our ears tuned to the sound of the trumpet, that sound that one of these days will be heard around the globe. We've been focusing on the destiny of those that are listening for the trumpet. The sad truth, however, is that there are many who will not be ready for that trumpet sound. Many who are trying to convince themselves that it will never happen. The Bible speaks of scoffers, rebellious, proud. I ask you this evening, are you ready for that trumpet sound? Are you anticipating it? For those prepared and listening, the trumpet sound will be a real source of joy. Trials of this life are past. I'm going home, going to live with my bridegroom. This is the first resurrection, reserved for those who are prepared to meet the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 20 and verse 6 says it, puts it this way, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. But for those unprepared for his return, what a sad day that'll be. Revelation 20 goes on to describe the great white throne with the awful sentence there in verse 15. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Paul speaks of the destination of the lost this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, To you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in them all that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. If you're here this evening, and you're not looking forward to that trumpet sound, Jesus came to provide a way of salvation, a way of escape from that awful sentence of eternal death. He came as a little baby in a manger, but he grew up into manhood, and he died as a sinless lamb of God, for you and for me. He gave his life for you and for me. He paid the price that we could not pay. Those familiar verses summarize it well, verses that we're all familiar with. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? Are you actively anticipating his return? In a city near... Edinburgh, Scotland, a large fishing fleet used to go out every year on a long expedition to the Newfoundland banks. 
And when the fleet returned, the whole town was notified. And as the boats came over the horizon, everyone was at the dock waiting for loved ones who had been away for two or three months or longer. On one such return, as the ships were coming over the horizon, as the fleet approached the shore, the captain stood on the deck of one of the ships with his binoculars reporting to the sailors as he looked there where they were going to be docking. Naturally, they were all wondering about their loved ones. The captain said, Jock, I see your mammy and two daughters there. Bill, there's your Frida. John, I see. And he went down over the list of all the fishermen there on the boat and those that he saw in the distance on the dock waiting for them. One man came to the captain and said, do you see my wife there? The wife turned and said, I'm sorry, Angus, but I don't see her. She's not there. Agnes began to worry because his wife was not in the crowd in the wharf. When the ship docked, the men greeted their wives, greeted their families, greeted their loved ones. But Angus moved through the crowd, looking everywhere for his wife. But he couldn't find her. Passed quickly through the village to his house on the hill. With hurried step, he opened the door and there was his wife. She said, oh, Agnes, I've been waiting for you. He replied, The wives of the other men were watching for them. Maybe are we watching or are we waiting for the Lord? Maybe you've made a commitment to follow Christ, but you recognize that you've been passively waiting, like Agnes' wife, instead of actively watching for the return of the Lord Jesus. As Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch, let us watch and be sober, looking for his return, anticipating it. Or maybe you're dreading the thought of his return. You know you're not ready to meet him. And the Holy Spirit is knocking at your heart's door, telling you that you need to make a decision a commitment to Jesus. Whatever your need this evening, I encourage you to take that step. Commit yourself to him. Come to the Lord Jesus. He loved us enough to give his life for us. He wants us to commit our way to him that we might not perish, but have everlasting life. So that we can listen for that trumpet with great anticipation Lord, it might be tonight. Praise the Lord. Don't leave here this evening without the commitment to him that brings a longing for his return. We will again have a song of invitation this evening. If you're not anticipating the sound of the trumpet, if you're not watching with excited expectation for his return, won't you stand or come forward this evening? as we sing a song of invitation. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He looks forward to calling you his child. But you need to choose to follow him. Otherwise, you will perish with those who are unbelievers. Why not make that decision this evening? What number will we sing? Number 934. Softly and tenderly. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart this evening... Won't you stand or come forward as you respond to the Holy Spirit this evening?
Let's sing one more verse. that your relationship with God is good this evening, that you are anticipating that sound, the sound of the trumpet, looking forward to that day. May we live faithfully, serve him until that time. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the instruction that it gives us. Dear Lord, thank you for the truths of it and the looking forward to that day that we will have resurrected bodies. Dear Lord, as we lay down to sleep tonight, may we remind ourselves, be reminded, perhaps tonight, dear Lord. Or perhaps we'll wake in the morning and greet the day with perhaps today, dear Lord. Dear Lord, help us to be anticipating your return. Help us to be looking forward to that day with excitement. Not just living day by day, waiting but rather actively working in your vineyard and watching for your return. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be faithful to you as we go this evening. I pray for traveling mercies. Speak to our hearts. And if it's your will for us to meet again tomorrow evening, Lord, I just pray that we might do that to your honor and to your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Jesus is coming back again. It might be tonight, it might be tomorrow. I trust that you're looking for that sound of the trumpet and trusting that, that uh, you are anticipating it. And so we look as we go, may we go rejoicing in him and serving him, the one who is coming for us again, the one who is going to come for his children as we look forward to taking him as our bridegroom in a literal way. Lord's blessing to you as we go this evening.